For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger For the ones who get it done. So many sports are in full swing right now, so there's no better time to get into sports betting than this very second. Go to Bet Online. It's the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your sports action. Bet Online has you covered for all the news, scores, and odds. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Head to the website betonline.ag or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, your online sportsbooks experts. <laughs> and welcome everybody into a brand new episode of the Believe in Clippers podcast. Jesse Cass and Alex Acker back with you here for a new episode as we are into the playoffs. The Clippers getting ready for game two after a tough game one loss. Alex, it's been a it's been a little while since we've chatted. We've had some special guests on in the past few weeks, but uh, happy to have you back and ready for uh you know the continuation of the playoffs here for the Clips. For sure, for sure. I'm happy to be back, man. It's been a long time since we, we linked up and got this thing going, man. So I'm excited to see what the Clippers got to go, uh, you know, uh, for game two. Yeah, no question. I mean, uh, we'll start, obviously, with game one. Uh, you know, last week yeah. when we had Eric Pincus on, he kind of talked us through some of his thoughts in the playoffs and the matchup. Um, you know, of course, the Clippers saw Dallas a year ago, ended up winning that series in, in six Team's a little bit different this year with some of the personnel changes, but in general, uh, you know the key pieces are, are, are the same. Uh, what did you see in Game One? It was a, a close game. Clippers got off to a slow start. They came back. They didn't necessarily play their best basketball. They shot pretty poorly, just eleven of forty from three point range, which we know they've been so good from three this year, uh, and just you know didn't make the plays down the stretch. What did you see in Game One uh, from the Clippers and the Mavs in that first game? Oh man, just just going back to it, it it, it seemed like they they playing a mirror in a way, you know. Um, they live by the jumper, you know. Both teams do, you know. So whoever pretty much is going to run each other, run them off that three point line is going to win, you know. Uh, Dallas is a, a prone uh, advocate for that three point line, and they got some key guys that actually knock it down. You can't double off of uh, Donich at all. Uh, they'll make you pay, you know. So I think that was the biggest thing that they need to understand and lock in to, to taking advantage of the game for sure. But um, yeah, they just need to actually just go straight at them and uh, not shy away from them for real. Um, get into their spots. I'm seeing in the fourth quarter, third quarter, um, they're hitting their 15 footers. Um, everything's clicking. But just like you said in the beginning, though, I think they just came from a, a slow start and it kind of like welled on them trying to get back into the to the groove of things and getting that lead. Yeah, and one thing, uh, you know, obviously we look at the star players, of course, and their performances. And, uh, you know, you mentioned the slow start. I think, you know, it was a little bit worrisome. Paul George started slow, but he ended up actually having a really good second half and kind of quell, quelling some of those nerves. Kawhi, of course, you know, did his usual stuff as well. Uh, and you look at that on the other side with Dallas. You know, Luka Doncic, of course, was great. He got a little quiet in the fourth quarter when the Clippers doubled him, but, you know, 30-point triple-double was big. 
it's a lot of those it's a lot of those role players for for both teams where you know throughout the season we've seen Marcus Morris be so reliable he was quiet 0 of 6 from three point range you know Reggie Jackson had a really poor outing not shooting the ball well either and then on Dallas's side you know 4 of 5 from three point range for Dorian Finney-Smith five threes for Hardaway and off the bench Jalen Brunson 15 points he got to the free throw line eight times so you know a lot of the times we talk about the stars but especially in the playoffs uh, you know the supporting pieces can be big and uh, while the Clippers did have some supporting players play well we mentioned those guys from Dallas they were big in that game allowing them to get a come away with that game one win for sure for sure and uh some key players that we thought that were going to be able to actually contribute Cousins and, and, and man who's been playing phenomenal all the way up until this point didn't get no take no no shine at all you know so I don't know if they was reserving them or if they're injured or not maybe you know uh, but they're definitely needed for this type of energy that that they give out for sure and a big presence down low in the paint to, to play that bully ball that Cousins does so well yeah I mean I think you know playoffs we always see rotations shorten uh, I think right now, you know, eight, nine guys is what we'll see. You know, I think Terrence Mann, of course, can be that shot of energy if the Clippers feel like that's something that they need. And I think Cousins will be, you know, a situational type thing. Maybe if they need, like you said, that that kind of post-presence in a few minutes off the bench. Um, yeah. But with the return of Serge Ibaka, who's, who actually looked good as well. You know, he's working his way back uh, after missing a couple of months. But I think Serge has been good. Uh, and that's an interesting subplot, too, of, you know, just kind of what matchup works best for the Clippers here, where we know in general Zubats has been so effective for the team. They can go small, which we saw with Morris and Batum kind of playing the bigger roles. And then, of course, Ibaka off the bench as well, along with Cousins. So, um, you know, what do you see in terms of adjustments? Game two for the Clippers, the obvious one, the easy one, which is not really an adjustment, is shoot the ball better. They miss a lot of open shots. That'll certainly, you know, get uh, get rid of and alleviate a lot of problems. But what else can they do to, to get themselves going in game two? Uh, I think what you said in the beginning is the fourth quarter where, where they kind of got the balls out of out of uh, Donch's hand a little bit more and double teaming him and trying to figure out other matchups where people can be, uh, um, you know, taken advantage of and positions where they're not comfortable at, you know. Um, it's hard, highly unlikely they're going to shoot the ball like that again. Who knows? Dallas is prone for actually doing that at a high level. They got a crazy clip outside. So uh, we just got to play this numbers game. You can't take away everything, but you got to take away something, and you got to be good at that. You know, So they have to figure out what they can be uh, good at taking away and, and use that to their advantage. Um, they got this game underneath their belt. I'm sure they're watching film um, back and forth to see what they can do and what they've done um, in each quarter and using that to their advantage for sure. But I think th- another key point is just, you know, just playing, you know, we got, we got Cannon who hasn't played at all. And, and, and man, you know, I, I'm a firm believer of these guys playing, with that tenacity of just proving themselves and wanting to prove themselves in this situation like this, for sure. So, you know, second second game, you've got to be a, a point of something like that of interest. Yeah, and the thing, the subplot with Mann is interesting too because, you know, playoffs, obviously Clippers is such a deep team. He's a young player. You understand why, you know, Reggie Jackson, we've talked about, has played so well this year. But it might have to be one of those quick, tough decision things for Tyron Lue where, we know if Jackson's not making his shots like we saw in game one, then he's kind of a liability on defense, whereas that's not the case with Terrence Mann. So if 
you know, if that move has to be made, that's available to them. Uh, but I think th- this is, you know, we, we see so much, and obviously, you know, there's no sugarcoating. sugarcoating. It's disappointing to lose game one at home. But yeah. I think, you know, we're so prone, especially in the, the sports landscape that we have now with social media, that the overreactions to game one. And, you know, last year, granted, it was the bubble, but we saw the Lakers lose game one at home or game one as the home team and then go on to win four straight. And, of course, the title the year before that, Toronto lost game one at home. They, of course, went on to win the title. So it's not, you know, a panic button thing. But this is a very important game, too, now for the Clippers where uh, it's about as close to a must win as you can get. Don't want to go down, of course, 0-2 on your home floor. So, uh, you know, you don't want to panic, of course, but you still need that that incredible sense of urgency. And I think I think we'll see it. We've seen, especially under Tyron Lue this year, the Clippers have bounced back really well after losses. I believe they only had one uh, three-game losing streak during the entire year. Pretty much any time they had a loss, they were ready to bounce back. So, you know, that should bode well for Game 2 coming up tonight. Yeah, I truly think so for sure. Um, to be honest with you, I, I feel more confident actually watching this team uh, struggle to, you know, and what they're doing now than what they did last year. You know, I was a little bit more worried last year of them, you know, uh, getting to this far and actually struggling. But now I think that they have the right pieces as far as the coaching staff, as far as, you know, the, the key pieces and the small pieces to getting things done where they can actually change um, and not just rely on talent and athleticism, what they did last year, and thinking that was going to be just it. You know, so they're going to actually put together a game plan and they're going to deliver for sure. This is not going to be, you know, the downside for the Clippers. I don't think so by no chance. Yeah, and I, I agree. I think we've talked about it throughout the year on this podcast that I think the construction of this roster was is a little better than last year and a little more tailored to the playoffs and that type of game. So I think that should play itself out and hopefully does in game two for the Clippers coming up. Uh, but, but, you know, they're, you know, as we said at a certain point, sometimes it's just about making shots and I, there's obviously adjustments the Clippers can make defensively and how they want to attack Doncic. He's going to get numbers regardless, but, you know, taking some of those other guys out, maybe a little more will be helpful for them. And then we saw a few, you know, uncharacteristic things from the Clippers. They're statistically the best free throw shooting team of all time. They missed four free throws in the fourth quarter in a close game. That, of course, always comes back to bite you. So I don't know if we'll see that again. But, uh, you know, things that, as we said, not insurmountable mistakes that they need to make up, just little things here and there. And, uh, you know, we should see the team that we expect coming up in game two. For sure. Um, one thing I definitely got to say, too, is, uh, you know, Morris is he, he's he's a great defensive player. But if you're playing somebody that's 6'8", like Donich, you know what I mean? That's that's that can do it all from the outside and the inside as well too. It takes a toll on you and your game as far as the other end, as far as offense, you know. And it shows for sure, you know. Going over six, he's probably a little tired and fatigue actually picking up and guarding the dude, you know, the bulk of the uh, the time. So um, that's the thing where we definitely got to figure out what we need more out of Morris, either his defense or offense, because uh, we can't have him playing. Luka Donish then expecting him to, you know, deliver as much as we need him on the offensive end as well, too, knocking down key shots that he normally hits throughout the uh, throughout the season. Yeah, and I think, honestly, uh, it's got to be a by-committee type of thing, right? We know that's one of the strengths of this Clippers team. As you said, 
someone as amazing and as talented as Doncic, you're not going to shut him down. You're just going to try to make it as difficult as possible. But, you know, that was one of the questions for Ty Lu when referencing Kawhi Leonard and, you know, why isn't he guarding Doncic more? And in theory, that's nice. And I think we'll see him on Doncic as much as possible. But, you know, the game isn't that simple either. We see every time Doncic has the ball, he's getting a ball screen and switching defenders. So if you have, you know, Kawhi starting on him, he's going to do whatever he can to switch the matchup. So, you know, I think we'll see Morris. I think we'll see Leonard. I think we'll see Paul George. We'll see Batum, you know, down the line, as many guys as you can throw at this. And it's more so, are you going to double team him? Are you going to blitz him? Are you going to come out with a hard hard hedge and get back? I think those are the things more so rather than, you know, which individual defender. I think it's got to be a collective effort from all of these guys for the Clippers and trying to throw, you know, all hands on deck towards Luka. Yeah, for sure, for sure. And, I mean, like, Luca's a smart guy. He's not going to force it if he doesn't have to. He's looking over the top for Porzingis, you know, for the small drop pass, and he's delivering. It's hard to it's hard to guard a 6'8", playing pick and roll with a 7'1 person, you know what I mean, that can put it on the floor as well, too. So it's kind of, he's kind of stuck in a, in, a, in a sharp water, you know, trying yeah. to figure that out. Um, so, yeah, that's going to be um, – uh, not an easy task, like you said, for sure. Yeah, and I think one point you made very early on when we were first starting talking on this podcast was really making a concerted effort to run these three-point shooters off the line and make them make plays where instead of catch-and-shoot opportunities, you know, I know it's a scramble when you're coming back off double teams or hedges or whatever it is, but you really got to get out and even if you're selling out, have to run these guys off the line and make guys like Dorian Finney-Smith and and Tim Hardaway and Porzingis prove that they can put it on the floor and make a play rather than be catch-and-shoot guys getting you know, in their comfort zone and shooting threes that way. So I think, I think we'll see more of that, and I think that'll be a big key in, in kind of maybe shifting the tide, making those role players a little more uncomfortable and doing things that, that they're not you know, as adept at doing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. Game two. Game two today, though, baby. Yeah, game two. You, I, I, you know, I feel. You know, I. I think, as I said, I. I'm hopeful, and I think pretty confident that we'll see a stronger effort from the Clippers. I don't think they played terribly. I thought they didn't shoot it, as we said as well in game one. But in terms of their defensive effort and intensity, uh, you know, if you really throw out that kind of slow start, if it's nerves, if it's overexcitement, whatever it was, I thought that they ended up. You know, playing a pretty strong game in game one with not their best shooting effort. So I think if we see the shooting kind of come back at least to regress to the mean, come back to the average a little bit, that'll help them significantly. And, you know, maybe some of those butterflies and nerves are gone for the Clippers and they can just play free. You know, I think most people would agree, and we talked about it with Eric Pincus last week. We've heard it all from pretty much any analyst. I think everyone would agree the Clippers are the more talented team in this matchup. Of course, Luka is one of the best players in the league. But outside of that, up and down the roster, I think the Clippers are the better team. So, you know, I think they come out with that focus. And as much as, you know, we talk about the role players as well, maybe just a little bit more from your two stars. We've seen, you know, throughout the first couple games of the playoffs, up and down the playoffs, you know, huge efforts from guys like Jokic and Lillard where they're putting up 30-plus. You know, you might need that from one of your two guys in Kawhi Leonard and Paul George you know, they had 26 and 23 in game one. Not bad by any means, but 
in terms of that superstar level. We saw it from Kawhi last year against Dallas. You know, he might need to average 33 points rather than 26. So I think, you know, while you do want to play within the team structure, yeah, you got to be a little selfish sometimes. Yeah, I mean, it's the perfect time to be a little bit unselfish. I mean, a little bit selfish right now, you know, as far as the playoffs, uh, He's a proven veteran that's been there, and he has to do whatever it takes to get there. So the guys understand, you know, um, and you want to put that ball in his hands as much as possible and get to that free throw line, putting other guys in jeopardy as far as getting fouled. And, uh, yeah, because, like you say, you don't, you, don't, you don't tend to play as many people as you can uh, during the playoff run, you know. But if you're getting, getting these guys in foul trouble early, um, it's definitely going to be a great, sweet situation where you can actually take advantage of of somebody new and fresh that got the jitters, you know what I mean? It's want to come in and just, who knows what they're trying to do, you know, play for themselves or something like that. So it's going to be it's going to be an interesting situation where um, guys need to really lock in and figure out how to win their own personal individual matchup from that standpoint. Yeah, and what... And what do you see from uh, from Paul George? We know there's so much pressure and scrutiny on him. You know, he got off to a, a rough start in terms of missing a couple shots pretty badly to begin the game, started one of seven. He ended eight of 18, so he got hot. He had 23 points, had some big shots in the fourth quarter. Uh, what was just your overall impression of, of his game uh, in game one and what you expect from him going forward? Man, I was just really shocked the way he actually finished the game. You know what I mean? Uh, for me personally, uh, playoff P is definitely here, and he's going to make his himself known this year. Uh, I can put a stamp on that for sure. I just see that tenacity inside him right now that he he really has it all. Every single piece that he's wanted to actually complete a team as far as the point guard standpoint to to playing with one of the elite players, the top five um, next to him, where there's no more hiccups as far as injuries or are setbacks like that, you know, so nobody has any any setbacks, and I think he's going to be able to actually show that playoff P is available, man, for, for, for this this game right now, so uh, yeah, he's got a lot of weight on his shoulders, but he's definitely the man to actually carry it out for sure. He's going to be ready next game. Yeah, one thing that, you know, impressed me from the game one performance for, for Paul George, and mentioned just, you know, you could tell the beginning of the game obviously was not a good start for him, missing some shots pretty badly. But even when before the shots started falling, you saw his effort defensively in particular, where he was really, you know, busting his ass defensively, drawing charges. You know, he's obviously guarding Dantich a lot. He's switching. He's all over the court defensively. So I think that's something that gets overlooked. He was phenomenal on that end of the floor. And then, you know, something to go with going forward, which we saw a little bit, you know, no one on Dallas can really stay in front of him. So we know he doesn't always get the calls going to the basket, but I think him being aggressive, getting in the lane, uh, whether it's yeah. finishing or creating for others, he's got to be in that attack mode. I think he will be, but that seemed to be something that worked a lot for the Clippers when, you know, Paul George, whether it was off a screen or off a couple of swing passes, his ability to quickly just go and create off the dribble. Uh, Dallas defenders had a hard time staying in front of him, so I think that's something that, the Clippers can really key in on, and that should hopefully also unlock you know some of their outside shooting that has been so good throughout the regular season. Mm-hmm. No, that's it. That's definitely it for sure. You got to actually be able to just let it all on the, on the table, man, for sure. Yeah, and, and what do you see from uh, 
from playoff Rondo. You know, Rajon Rondo, of course, is the big acquisition midseason for the Clippers. He's been pretty great for them, even through the regular season. Uh, he came in, you know, 24 minutes, 11 points, four boards, four assists. He was playing pretty much the bulk of the minutes in crunch time. Uh, what did you see from Rondo in his first Clippers playoff game? Nah, he he definitely was raised on Rondo, play on Rondo as well too, man. We you said it be I think the third or fourth podcast uh, before this one where he was like Rondo is definitely needed, and he's he's we're waiting to see that side of Rondo. That's what we got here for for playoffs. Uh, um, so Rondo's definitely going to deliver anytime he steps on that four, as far as playoff matchups, um, and he's not missing a beat for sure. Um, I just think that he he, he uh, needs to get off the ball a little bit more and just just start being more assertive, kicking that ball up a little bit more, and then uh, you know using that pick and roll, being more aggressive, and, and getting to the hole, man. I think that's the biggest thing too for him. Um, but Rondo's just an elite player, man. Just a smart, savvy guy. I put him up there as far as Chris Pauls and all those guys that actually just think the game rather than just playing it, you know. So. He's going to be able to actually just orchestrate the game where these guys can take a little bit, you know, breath off, like we said in the past, as far as uh, as far as Paul George and Kawhi Leonard bringing the ball up every single night, you know, exerting so much energy. So we're waiting for him to actually just take over and dominate. Once he gets close to a game where he can, he's going to definitely going to do it for sure. Yeah, and one thing we saw last year with the Lakers, and really – you know, through this kind of back end of, of Rondo's career, wherever he's been, you know, there's that stigma, of course. He's not still not a great three-point shooter, but compared to what he was when he was younger, where it's, oh, you can, you can lay, you know, five, six feet off him and just dare him to shoot. You know, he made three three-pointers in that last game. He was three of four from downtown. You know, he's certainly become, on top of everything else with all the smarts, someone who's capable from outside enough to have that defense respect him and then, hopefully, like you said, can use that and utilize that to then go into his strengths where he's attacking off the dribble and creating where the defense has to respect the shot. So I think, you know, we'll see more of that as well. But I certainly was not not mad that Rondo was the point guard who was in there down the stretch despite, not at all. despite Beverly playing pretty well. We mentioned Jackson struggled. But, you know, this is what they got him for. You know, Rondo has that experience. He's the guy who, especially late, has to be the one to kind of orchestrate things offensively and even defensively so uh you know while he's coming off the bench you know i i wouldn't be shocked if we see rondo in crunch time for a large majority of these games going forward yeah there shouldn't be no question about that at all and to, to talk about what you said as far as his three point i remember when you know we would every shot he would shoot would be down like damn that's a bad shot but now <laughs> it's not even it's not even a surprise that he's hitting shots because we're, we're expecting him to actually knock it down you know and that's the great thing about his transition as far as him being a, a veteran and a seasoned veteran that he is now for sure he's elevated his game a lot as far as outside that arc yeah it, and it's hard to really gauge it because it's something new of course with you know coming you know we're still of course in the pandemic but kind of seeing things ease up more fans into the building uh with vaccinations up uh you know the clippers crowd has been i believe it's at seven thousand right now uh so about you know a third full but still pretty noisy and, and helpful and boisterous uh you know going into dallas they're going to be about double that fifteen thousand in the fan in the crowd uh you know, just for players that have seen 
pretty sparse or minimal crowds this year. Does that do you think that affects them at all going into crazy environments like we've seen, you know, in New York this past weekend with a near full house and and just kind of re- readjusting themselves to being in back in front of not only fans but playoff crowds where the fans are really on it and intense throughout the game. <laughs> no, for sure. Uh it's definitely going to be something. Uh I remember they they had the the echo of the audience in the stands but nobody in there, you know, <laughs> at one point. <laughs> so, uh but I really think that um you really don't even see the crowd uh no matter what when you're playing the game. Um but it'll be more fun and exciting to actually see these guys uh, with the crowd involved and stuff like that and getting that energy and who knows, man? You know, somebody might say something in the stands and spark an interest of Paul George and he'll ignite and go off for like 15 straight buckets, which he can't <laughs> do, you know? <laughs> so we definitely need the crowd to edge him on uh, and Kawhi Leonard of anybody, you know, from that Clipper standpoint. So uh, I'm, I'm excited that we're actually here, to be honest with you, um, back. Um, as, as little window that we have, but... You know the fans are actually you know helpful for this for this game we we, we miss the, the the fans you know for sure the hands on with them yeah i mean it, it makes such a difference in just the excitement and the feel of everything to to have mm-hmm. the crowds back and, and obviously especially in time for the playoffs it's, it's pretty awesome uh yeah you know we mentioned how important of course this game too upcoming is but just in general for the series i just want to get your thoughts on What's what's the best way to go about it for the Clippers? We've kind of heard diff- differing philosophies where we saw games last year too, where Luca, you know, scored forty something and the Clippers won. Do you play him one on one and kind of let him get whatever numbers he gets and try to take out the other guys, or do you, you know, do you double team him and and let the other guys potentially beat you? What's your or do you play it somewhere in the middle? What's your philosophy on handling a star like that and, and kind of how to defend it in the best way? Man, I think uh, I'm glad I'm not a coach as far as right now. Because <laughs> it'll be a tough situation. I've seen them put in, you know, Pat Beverly, and, and he's going to the post. Um, something that that you know that he's he's comfortable at. You know, he's comfortable playing with little guards in front of him. And man, he's just he's just a, a smart individual. You know, at a young age right now, and um, he's taking advantage of every aspect that. He possibly can, um, and he has the team that's actually giving him the tools to actually do that. So it's going to be hard to play against somebody that has free range and unlimited range at the same time, you know. Um, so he's a threat no matter where he's at on that court. And uh, boxing one, a, a zone, or whatever you put at him, he's going to capitalize, you know. So you just got to really just hope and be mindful that, you know, he, he comes in and, and seeing how he is on in the warmups, if he's if he's making ten or twelve threes in a row, you got to be <laughs> mindful for it. You know, um, he's one of those special guys like like uh, uh, Curry as well too. You know, he's just he's just a gifted talent. You know, uh, a knack for a, a bucket. Um, but to be honest with you, to order to play him, man, you really got to get the ball out of his hands. Um, as soon as we score, you got to be able to pick him up. You know, and allow him not to get any second touches. If he late, if he passes that ball, somebody got to be on him like peanut butter and jelly. Like seriously, not having him getting a second chance to actually see that ball at all. And um, maybe that can be um, an advantage for sure. 
um, just starting off right there, you know, and seeing how that works. And it's going to be different ways of actually guarding this guy um, and just putting different people on him. Um, but I can't honestly say from a man getting a triple-double in the playoff game, <laughs> it's kind of <laughs> hard <laughs> to see what he's going to do next, you know, uh, the next game. So just – you know, strap that seatbelt on and just see what he got. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't think there's any one right answer. As we said, you know, he's going to get numbers regardless. Um, but I think you know we alluded to a few of the things that could potentially be helpful, or at least part of the strategy. I think we talked about, of course, running the other guys off the three-point line and making them make plays. Uh, and I, I don't mind the Clippers yeah. switching a lot of these pick and rolls. As we said they have a lot of really versatile defenders. Uh, and even though I think Zubats does as good a job as you can as a big man, I think that might be one small adjustment. Uh, we saw, you know, a number of times in the first half where, you know, Zoo got switched out onto Dantich, was kind of left on an island. You know, he, as you said, he still does as good as you can for a big man in, in guarding on the perimeter. But, you know, I think unless it's a wing player, I don't know if I would switch that. I would maybe show, you know, have a hard show from Zubats and get back and rotate and recover where you're not leaving your, you know, your big man guarding one of the best, you know, perimeter players in the, in the game. So I think, you know, that might be something there where it allows you to play Zubats a little bit more and enjoy some of the good things he does in terms of his defense, his rebounding, his interior presence, uh, and not have him kind of taken off the floor like we saw in game one. No, that's smart for sure. Most of the time I see Donnie's actually going left for that side step back, uh, which he loves on that left side, you know, so maybe forcing him to write a little bit more and, and knowing that, you know, right hand, the shooters love to go left uh, to get their shots off. Um, it can be a trigger, you know, that can be helpful for sure. So um, just keeping him um, close as possible, forcing him right and keeping a hand in his face at the, at the same time and, and not going for any step backs and having him just actually just get to the hole. But he's so, he's so crafty, which is crazy because he goes at his own pace. He can't speed him up at all. You know, as much as you want to try to put in much pressure on him, he uses his weapons as far as his shoulders and hips very well in order to get that defender off him to make those shots look easy as possible. And he has counters. You know, um, you think you got him at one particular spot when he picks the ball up and he's spinning off or he's he reverse spinning and he's fading from that standpoint or different angles, you know, and he's making high arch. Luka, I mean, Luka Donick shots looking like Dirk Nowitzki, you know, <laughs> so it's kind of crazy uh, to see this guy actually do these things at a young age, but it, he has it for sure. Yeah, so we'll... We'll see what ends up happening in Game 2 upcoming. It's a 7.30 p.m. Tuesday night game for the Clippers at home, trying to even the series up at 1-1. Of course, Dallas trying to take a commanding lead. Uh, any uh, any thoughts or predictions for, for Game 2 going forward for tonight? Nah, let's just, let's just get it, man. I'm, all, I'm hyped. I just really want, I want the Clippers to win, so I'm all Clippered out right now. <laughs> that will be the hope, as we said. <laughs> yeah, that's the hope for, for the Clippers. See if they can draw even and send this thing back to Dallas 1-1. Alex, good uh, catching up and chopping it up with you. And we'll, uh, we'll, we'll be full force going forward in, in the playoff series here, as we said, hopefully for uh, what is hopefully a long run for the Clippers. We'll see if they can draw back even tonight. Let's go. So that's it for this week's edition of the Believe in Clippers podcast. Big thanks to my co-host, Alex Acker. So we're back here in full force, as we mentioned. Clippers game two 
tonight. If you're listening on Tuesday, 7.30 p.m., Clippers at home. And then the series shifts to Dallas. Another, again, two days off in between. So game three will be Friday, game four on Sunday. Uh, but, of course, one game at a time and focus on the task at hand. Clippers with a vital game at home to try to draw even. Uh, we will have all the reaction and analysis from that uh, after this game, too, on Tuesday night. So thanks so much for tuning in here on the Believe Podcast Network. Know if you enjoy the show, please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple. And we're also available wherever else you get your podcasts and, of course, at Believe.com. So with all of that said, thank you so much for tuning in to this episode presented by Bet Online on the Believe Podcast Network, LA's number one sports podcast network and the only place for the show for every team in LA and more. We believe in our LA teams. Do you believe? Go Clips. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.